This morning, um, I am going to start a series of three sermons uh, today. I am speaking on love lost, love misguided, and love commanded. Uh, next week, I'm going to speak about the practical ways that we can love God and love others. And then on February 13th, I hope to speak on the consistency and perseverance of love. And I would like to give you a little background about this series. Uh, approximately two years ago, I was doing counseling with a couple, and uh, we were talking about the Bible's command for husbands to love their wives and what that meant practically. Uh, this couple had been through uh, many Bible studies, marriage conferences, and the husband had been in church his entire life. And so it was quite amazing to me when he said, I don't know how to love my wife. At the time, it struck me, it was odd that a person who had sat under the teaching of some very conservative and se seemingly uh, solid Bible teaching would make such a statement. After all, God is love, and we have the love chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we also have the predictable sermon on or around Valentine's Day, uh, several books, retreats, conferences, and so on. So my question was, how is it possible that a husband could have spent so many years under this and not learned what it's meant by love? So at the time, I determined to do a study on love, uh, to write a study on love. And initially, I was going to write it on love in the marriage relationship. And it was intended to be an exploration of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, I finished that about a year ago. In fact, uh, there's a, a group of guys that meet on Friday morning that uh, put up with me and my um, emphasis on love and uh, went through that study. And uh, in preparation for that study, um, God was taking me personally through a journey that I did not quite expect. Um, not only did the husband that I was speaking to not really know what love meant, I discovered that my own understanding of love was woefully inadequate to what the scripture has to say about love. In fact, every time I look into scripture about love, I discover something that I have missed. I recall that at the time when that, that husband was talking to me, uh, the I had a pretty good handle on 1 Corinthians 13, uh, so I thought. And I read some commentaries and books on marriage and uh, counseling. And so I felt very comfortable with my knowledge on the subject. I was feeling very, very confident. Little did I know that God was about to confront my pride on this subject. You know, God's timing is everything. We as a church are seeking God as to the direction for the future of Richland Baptist Church. Uh, God gave Pastor Travis wisdom to put together a, a strategic visioning team. Some of you are here this morning. Uh, the team started meeting pre-COVID, not very long before COVID, because most of our meetings have been uh, through Zoom, actually. Uh, but this team developed a statement to guide the future of RBC. It was a labor of several people in our congregation and the staff to genuinely seek out God's direction. 
hours of discussion, we were able to distill what God was doing or what he was wanting us to do. And we were narrowed it down to three admonitions. Loving God, loving people, and multiplying disciples. For many years, RBC has fulfilled the making disciples part of this mission. And so in many ways, this new focus is actually not new. God has used and will continue to use RBC as a shining light of making disciples and supporting missions work. But God, in his timing and wisdom, was saying to us that um, we as a congregation had come up short when it comes to love. We had become an organization doing important work, but all the while missing the opportunity to really connect to a loving God and loving God and loving brothers and sisters in Christ and loving the community around us. So the mission statement that we came up with is saturated with continuous prayer, Richland Baptist Church values the glory of God above all things by loving God, loving people, multiplying disciples. This parallel work confirmed to me that, and others, that I believe, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that the transformation and sanctification that we need as a congregation is we need to get back to our first love. As God put that on my heart, I sought to advocate for love at every opportunity. Ironically, I think uh, I have annoyed several people in that process uh, with that focus. Initially, I was surprised that there would be anybody that would be upset by that or critical of it. Um, after all, the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love others. God was working on me as well. I realized that I had come up short when it comes to loving God as God would have me love. At every turn over the last couple years, it has been a test to be loving and encouraging towards others. And at times, I even thought, was this really worth it, this focus? God in his grace always brought me back to the importance of love. And also, he made me painfully aware of how short I come up in this way. Many tears have been shed as I realized how painfully obvious it is that I don't really know how to love. Am I a hypocrite for writing and talking about love? You bet I am. But at least now God has my attention. And my hope is that he will get your attention as well. I have to apologize for such a long introduction, but I felt it would be helpful for you to know where I am in terms of this focus. Uh, in the church, staff, and leadership, we've been longing for God's love and for transformational love in our lives. There have been many of you that have encouraged me over the last couple years. For every negative I've received, there's been others who have offered an encouragement when I thought I might give up. Much of my thoughts have been public, and to that extent, I've been receiving encouragement from others as well. Um, 
I've been encouraged by pastors, Bible teachers, and even missionaries who have often, through private messages, expressed similar sentiments. So the focus this morning is on, and next week is on love. And to start out, I would first like to take a look at love lost. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, we read, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you, do, I do have this. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would write upon our hearts the importance of love, loving you first and foremost with everything that we have, but also loving others. Lord, help us to understand these two great commandments. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This message is from Christ through a divine vision through John to the church in Ephesus. According to the message, the Ephesians had a zeal for God's righteousness. Uh, Jesus actually commended them for taking a stand against evil, against false teachers, and against unrighteous practices. They also apparently faced hardships for following Christ and in endured and God and Jesus commended them for that they would have appeared to most of us as a church that really had it all together um, they were doing the right thing however something very very important was missing love not only was love missing but it had been abandoned the love was abandoned in the actions that they were taking. While righteous, they had no thought of love. Love was something that did not figure into their reasoning. They become a church of righteous activity devoid of any thoughts of love. Oh, how far they had fallen from love they had in the beginning. This change in focus led to a change in mission. Notice that they are stopped doing the works that they had done at first. No doubt these early works reflected the love they had for God and the love they had for one another. In short, they abandoned the thought of love, they abandoned the focus of love, which led to an abandonment of the works of love. Living in a loveless relationship erodes the soul. As a counselor, I have the opportunity to meet with couples and and they come in the darkest points in their lives. Um, in many ways, I've met with couples who have abandoned their first love. It's a sad situation. 
Most of the time, they just come to fulfill some sort of commitment to seek counseling before they commit to divorce. But truthfully, they've already divorced in their heart. They've abandoned their first love. This same loveless atmosphere can choke out a body of local body of believers. When love is abandoned in a church, it becomes agenda-driven, and whoever has the most influence drives the agenda. It becomes works-based. The measure of success becomes programs and classes and numbers. Without love, relationships take a back seat to events and calendars. Without love, guilt becomes the primary motivator for action and relationships. Every action that is taken is to minimize shame. Obligation replaces genuine concern for people. Without love, preaching at people becomes more important than ministering to people. Without love, so-called evangelistic events become more important than addressing the needs of our community at large. Over time, it erodes and chokes out the vitality of our church. R.C. Sproul, speaking on common grace, said it like this. This unnatural schism took place where evangelicals began to say, Oh, social action, social concern, concern for the general welfare of the human race. That's a liberal matter. That's a liberal agenda. Whereas the concerns for the souls and personal salvation, that's the real concern of the church. If Christ were to hear uh, us say that, he would say a pox on both your houses. Because the church is called not only to the ministry of special grace, but also to the ministry of common grace. If you find somebody sick and dying in a ditch, you don't ask them how they got in that ditch. The love of God is to constrain you to pull them out of the ditch and do everything that you can. That is what the story of the Good Samaritan is all about. Jesus offers this warning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. First, Jesus challenges the people of Ephesians to remember how far they have fallen from their first love. In some ways, I'm hoping that we're doing that this morning. Even remember when first you had your first love, when all was alive and brilliant and good. And even bad news was greeted with a, a sense of eternal optimism before bitterness and ideology and demagoguery and pride settled into our souls. Remember when the words, I forgive you, flowed easily off of your tongue. And now we choke on those words if they're even uttered at all. Remember when kindness and compassion drove you to care and concern for your fellow humanity. Love, my dear brothers and sisters, is the thing that is missing. Jesus commanding repentance. He's commanding repentance. Repentance is a change of heart towards the thing that, that is the subject at hand. In this case, Jesus is asking the people of Ephesus to um, change their mind about the importance of love. 
Love is the preeminent fruit of a person who is filled with God's Holy Spirit. We must align our minds with this truth. Without love, everything, literally everything we say and do is utter meaninglessness and devoid of anything of value. We must agree with God. There are a couple of verses to keep in mind when repenting of how far we have fallen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-3, through it says, If I speak with human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as I can move mountains to, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my, away all my possessions and give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. 2 John verse 6, it says, This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command that you've heard from the beginning, that you walk in love. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In short, Religious activity without love is nothing. Disobedience to God is not love. And saying that you love God while hating others makes you a liar. You see, love is not a command of God. Love is the command of God. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, it says... The one of the scribes approached and when he heard him debating and he saw that Jesus answered him well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, the Savior of our souls, identifies loving God and loving others as the two greatest commandments. There's none greater than these. It would seem to me that if the greatest, these two are the greatest, then we as believers ought to understand and know what it means to love God and to love others. And more than that, we ought to be practicing loving God and loving others. When we acknowledge these, Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So not only are these the two greatest commandments, but the degree to which we embrace loving God and loving others is a measure of how close we are to the kingdom of God. Dear friends, love is important. It ought to be the central characteristic of the Christian faith. John 13, verses 34 and 35, I give you a new commandment, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to 
also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, Jesus makes love the core identity of being one of his disciples. And, and the love that we have for one another is a mark of a follower of Christ. We cannot miss this point. Jesus elevates love to the core of our faith. 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John 15, verses 12 through 14, it says, This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Listen to Paul. Listen to John. Listen to Jesus. We have a problem of love. If you're offended by this statement, then let me just say you need to examine your heart. Loving well is a clear teaching of Jesus Christ. To be offended by love is to be offended by Christ. One of the problems that we run into when it comes to love is that we can have affection for things that are not from God. That is to say, we can have a misguided love. Our objects of our affection are as important as the affection itself. Um, if we love something that is false, then we become a part of that falsehood. We become married to things that are not of God. Here's some examples of misguided love. Loving only those who love you. Loving money. Loving popularity. Loving evil deeds rather than Christ. Loving men's praise over God's praise. Loving the world during hardship. Loving the wages of evil deeds. Loving the things of the world. Loving words without loving action. Loving the favorites in your family. Loving evil words. Loving ignorance. Loving to offend and cause strife. This list is not exhaustive. However, I think you get the point. Having an appropriate focus for our love and affection is critical. Loving the wrong thing does not make you righteous. It makes you unrighteous. We must guard our hearts against the things that God does not want us to focus on. We must love the things that God loves and reject the things that God rejects. We must set boundaries on our love. If we do not, we'll find that our affections and our efforts do not reflect the genuine love of God. On the other hand, in our efforts to set boundaries, we cannot abandon the centrality of love that God places in our faith and hope. We must not abandon the love of God and the love of others. Remember the stark warning in Revelation 2. But if I have this against you, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If we abandon love, then God would be just in removing our influence 
and yes, our very existence as a church from this place. It is that important to Jesus. And it ought to be that important to us. As a preview for next week, I want to read a selection of Bible verses that deal with the commands to love God and love others. The first list is one of loving God. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven. it says, He said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commands. John fourteen twenty-three. Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. John 15.10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. John, 1 John 2.5, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. 1 John 4.16, and we have... And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the, and the one who remains in, his, remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. 1 John 5, 2 and 3. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. For this is what the love of God is. To keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. 2 John 6, this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. In the list of loving others, Matthew 5, 4, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Mark 12, 31, the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. John 15, uh, verses 12 and 13. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Romans 10, 8 and 10. 8 through 10. Do not owe anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. Any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. 1 Corinthians 16.14 Do everything in love. Galatians 5.14 For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, <clears throat> making, um, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Colossians 3, 14. Above all, put love Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 1 Timothy 4.12 Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example to believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider 
one another to provoke love and good works. James 2.8, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. 1 Peter 1.22, since you have purified yourself by obedience to truth so that you have sincere brotherly love for each other from a heart of uh, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. First Peter 4.8, it says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. First John 3.11, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Truthfully, there are many more passages that I could share with you. I didn't even go into the Old Testament. It was just a survey of a handful of New Testament scriptures. God in his word elevates love above all things. In fact, obedience without love is rejected by God. Faithful love is the character of God. And if we're to reflect God's character in our lives then faithful love ought to be our aim in our relationship with him and our relationship with others. We'll explore in greater depth this next week. We will look at what does it mean to love God and love others. What does that practically look like? But for now, let us examine our hearts. Whether we have come up short in these two greatest commands from our Lord and Savior. Let us take notice of how far we have fallen. Let us repent and set our minds on the love of God. And finally, let us return to the loving works that we did when we first came to Christ. If you would stand with me. Father God, we come before you, we humble ourselves before you. And Lord, we confess that we have come up short when it comes to loving others. But more importantly, Lord, we have come up short when it comes to loving you. Our disobedience is a testimony of the fact that we do not love you in the way that we ought to. And so, Lord, we confess that. We, we acknowledge that. We, we see that, Lord. We recognize it. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart of repentance to change our hearts and minds, to see the importance of love as you see it, Lord. Help us to return to those works that we did when we were uh, fresh in you and were able to celebrate the grace that you had given us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that is known for its love as much as it's known for its sound biblical teaching. Lord, that is our heart. That is our desire. Help us to walk in that way. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to fill us in order to accomplish that. The reality is, Lord, that that love which is from you, is not in us, at least not in its fullest sense. Help us, Lord, 
Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to walk in a way that honors and glorifies you as we love others, love you, and make disciples. So, Lord, that is our commitment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.